Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Coastal Community Church. I am Pastor Chris, and I am back. I am back. I was uh, on vacation last week. It had been over like a, a year and a half since my wife and I had kind of been able to get out of town. Some of that was just, you know, like everybody else, you know, kind of COVID-related and, and uh, just the circumstances of, of life. Uh, but we got out of town last week, went up to the mountains, disconnected, no cell phone, no internet. It was glorious, glorious. And uh, But it's good to be back. It's always good to be home, and uh, I missed my coastal family, and I've missed preaching, too. Uh, I, I was out of town last week, but then over the last uh, several weeks, our other pastors have been preaching uh, with, uh, through this series at the movies, um, but uh, I'm back today, and uh, it's good to be back, and um, thank you. So thank you for joining us uh, here in person, and uh, thank you for tuning in and being a part of our service uh, online. And as Ryan said, we're kicking off today another uh, favorite a summer sermon series tradition uh, here at Coastal. And uh, it's called Summer Reading. Summer Reading. Raise your hand if you consider yourself to be a reader. You read, you know, you enjoy reading. Raise your hand if you've not picked up a book since like high school or something. And yeah, okay, yeah. That's, the, you know, I wouldn't be proud of that if I were you. But anyway, um, so let me explain the, the idea for the series and how it works. Uh, our pastors and staff several months ago got together and uh, picked six, seven books, seven books that we think are worth reading. And uh, then we provide the book list kind of early on, and then we encourage you to uh, pick up the books and, and start reading. Now, obviously, uh, we are not preaching from the books themselves, okay? Uh, like, like at the movies, we don't preach from the movies, we don't preach from these books. Each week, though, we simply use the subject matter from that week's book as the subject matter for that Sunday sermon. And then what we do what we always do here at Coastal, right? We open up God's Word, uh, we, pre- we boldly proclaim it, and we point people uh, to Jesus. But we do believe that each one of these books are worth reading. Honestly, the movies at the movies, we could care less if you go to see those movies. But uh, these books are good. They're worth reading. And uh, so I hope that you would make a commitment uh, sometime during the series, sometimes during the, you know, the close of summer uh, to pick up, pick up a couple of these books and uh, you know, take a read. So after all, leaders are what? Readers. That's right. Leaders are readers. So let's get started. Uh, today's book, here it is right here. Uh, it's, uh, by, it's called Love Your Life. Uh, Not Theirs um, by Rachel Cruz. Now, for those of you um, who are familiar with or fans of Dave Ramsey, you know that Rachel Cruz is Dave Ramsey's daughter. Uh, she's the co-author of the number one bestseller book, uh, Smart Money, Smart Kids, and uh, she's the host of her own show, uh, appropriately called The Rachel Cruz Show. And uh, in this book, in this particular book, Love Your Life, Not Theirs, Rachel lists the seven habits uh, that we need to establish in our life if we're ever going to get out of the financial mess uh, we might find ourselves in and uh, to live the life financially uh, that, we's, that we've always wanted to live. So I'd highly recommend the book. Uh, it's a lot, of, uh, a lot of information. I mean, uh, a lot of things in here, everything from getting out of debt, saving, retirement, buying a home. Um, it's, it's, it's good stuff. But our country uh, definitely is in a financial mess. Would you agree with that? I mean, absolutely. That, that is like the uh, understatement of the year, right? Well, in fact, listen to these statistics. Four out of five Americans owe 
more than they own. The average American family is three weeks away from bankruptcy. According to Social Security statistics, 85 out of 100 Americans have less than $250 saved uh, in cash saved up by the age 65. Uh, the average American gives less than 2% to charitable institutions. And recent surveys, actually, this is kind of all through you know, time almost, I think, but recent surveys do show that at least 50% of all divorces are caused by or directly related to financial pressure in the home. Now, I could go on and on. I mean, I really could, giving you statistic after statistic, just proving how much of a mess we are really in. I actually believe that that's not necessary. I mean, we know we're in a mess, right? I even believe that we actually know some of the answers. You know, these are answers that we've known, you know, most of our lives. Uh, stop buying stuff you can't afford. Live within your means. Plan your spending. Save for a rainy day. All that stuff. And, you know, Rachel talks about those uh, in, in this book. And, and she makes the point that we all know what we should do, but doing it. That's a whole other story, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been through what you would consider to be a season of financial stress or difficulty? Raise your hand, right? I mean, come on, if we're honest, probably all of us have to one degree or another at, at some point. In fact, you might be in the middle of one right now. And again, I believe that all of us go through that because I do believe that God wants to teach us some lessons. He uses that to teach us. He wants to teach us to trust him. He uses money as that, that acid test of our faith and of our character. After all, money, okay, money in and of itself, it's, it's really neutral. Money is not the root of all evil. Okay, the Bible does not say that. This is what it says. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the what? Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money. It's unrestrained greed that's the root of all evil. You see, money is simply a tool and a test. Write that down. It's a tool and a test. It's a tool to see whether or not we're going to leverage it, to leverage money and resources and all the stuff of life for the kingdom for the kingdom, and it's a test of our character. You see, if you don't manage your money well, your finances, your, your resources, your stuff, if you're not responsible with it, the Bible actually teaches that God is not going to be able to trust you with the responsibility of other more important things. In fact, Jesus said it like this in Luke 16, 11. And if you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth, who will ever trust you with the true riches of heaven? You see, here's what I want us to catch today. The issue of you know, finances and money and debt and all of that, the issue is bigger than simply getting out of debt and saving for the future. It's a spiritual issue. It's a deeply, deeply spiritual issue because if you are simply getting out of debt 
and kind of getting your financial house in order because you want to afford more of the American dream. Listen, you've missed the boat. You really have. You see, as somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus, our motives in life have got to be way higher than that. I mean, that, that's, that's, not, that's not setting your bar low. That's, that's having your bar on the ground. We have got to have a kingdom worldview. After all, right, we all believe this, right, that this world is not our home, okay? We are just passing through. We're supposed to be on a mission, on a mission to see people come to know Jesus. And so money, resources, to the, the stuff of life, okay, they're all just tools that we can leverage to help carry out that mission. And if we're not very, very careful, it can actually get in the way. So, does God have anything to say when we go through those seasons of financial stress, financial difficulty? Well, the good news is, Absolutely he does. Now I know sometimes churches shy away from you know, talking about money and resources and maybe you're a guest with us today and you're like, oh my goodness, I show up to church and they're talking about money, you know. Listen, I think this is the place we ought to talk about it. Our, our world's in a mess. People are desperate for help and hope and I believe that God's word tells us the truth and how we ought to live and it works in every area of life including this one. And so we ought to boldly proclaim what God wants us to talk about as far as money and finances. So today, I want us to talk about, I've kind of whittled it down the book to like five, instead of seven, five important financial principles from God's word that could possibly turn your financial life around. If you're in debt today, if you're stressed out because of money, if you're having relational difficulties because of finances, I think you picked a great day to be here. But remember, and she stresses this in the book, and we've talked about this before, and you know, when we go through Dave Ramsey, you did not get into this mess overnight, and you're not gonna get out of it overnight, okay? There's no quick fix, but let's talk about these principles, and let's start where she starts in her book. Principle number one, if you're taking notes, stop comparing and enjoy what I have. Stop comparing uh, and enjoy what I have. Listen, comparing yourself to others, that is a trap, a trap, because you never ever see the whole story, okay, the real story. And what it does is it leads to envy, it leads to you being discontent, it leads to constant frustration, and it will end up wreaking havoc in every area of your life, especially in your finances. Have you ever gone out and um, you know, visited, maybe, maybe where you live, there's like a model home, or you're driving around, so let's go check out this model. You go into that model home, and then you go back to your shack. You know, th that ever happened to you? You know, you watch HGTV, you know, and you're like, oh. But listen, Ecclesiastes 6.9, listen to this verse. Enjoy what you have, rather than desiring what you don't have. Would you agree that that's a verse that's being radically violated here in America? We know we don't. We never, we're never satisfied with what we have. People are so busy today 
acquiring and getting more and more and more that they don't have time to enjoy what they already have. Here's how it works. You see what somebody else has, you know, in their perfect, polished life on social media. So you gotta have it. You do, you gotta have it. So you go out and you get overextended. You buy more house than you can afford. You buy more car than you can afford. You overspend and you're in all kinds of debt. And then if you're married, both husband and wife are now scrambling. I mean hustling to make ends meet because they bought more than they could afford. And so as a result, there is constant frustration and tension and everybody's tired and exhausted. Pretty soon, that relationship starts to frazzle and on edge and you don't have time for each other anymore. You know, uh, much less the kids, by the way, if you have them, because you're always busy. You're always hustling to work, to pay for all the stuff that you bought. And now we'll rationalize that whole scenario by saying things like, well, it's only what? Temporary. Who are you kidding? I mean, seriously? A a temporary solution has become this permanent lifestyle. And so you always say things like, well, when things settle down, one of these days, Listen, things aren't going to settle down until you choose to make them settle down. Hebrews 13.5, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Practically speaking, that might mean that you don't have to have the latest iPhone or a cool gadget that you see at Best Buy. That means you might not have to have that next pair of shoes. Here's what I want you to do today. I want you to go home and I want you to put that verse right there on the back of every credit card you have. Just just write it down, put it on a little piece of paper, put it on the back of those credit cards, maybe put it on your, your computer screen or something so that every time you swipe that thing, Every time you're, you know, up late at night and you're on Amazon, whatever, you know, you got your sheen hall or your shine hall, whatever that thing is, you know, I know it was cheap, right? You was on sale, sale, whatever, you know, but we need to be reminded of this, right? Number two, principle number two, here we go. Get to work. (laughs) Get to work. Um, This has become a serious, serious problem uh, in our world today. In fact, you ask any contractor, any business owner, any business manager, and you will hear the same thing today over and over. I mean, listen, it's on all the news. It was on the, you know, discussed on the uh, presidential town hall. You hear the same thing over and over again. No one wants to work. Don't believe me? Listen, why do you think the Hardys Okay, right up here on 17, the corner here, you know, Arlington and 17. Why do you think the Hardys right up here has a sign on the street offering, you ready for this, a $400 signing bonus? That's unheard of. Why? Because they're having a hard time finding people who will what? Work. And yet the Bible says, listen, we need a biblical worldview here of work. The Bible says we were created to work. Listen, the very first command of God, in fact, is to go to work. 
Uh, Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? Work it and take care of it. It's, it's, uh, that principle is uh, uh, expounded and, and uh, uh, found, in fact, in the Ten Commandments, right? The Big Ten, Exodus 20, 8 through 10. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall what? Labor and do all your work. But the seventh day, the Sabbath to the Lord your God. Over in the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians 3.12, we command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. You know, every so often I'll meet one of these, um, I don't know, passive, maybe even like super spiritual types, and they'll say, you know, Pastor Chris, I'm just waiting on God. I'm just waiting on God to open a new door, or I'm just waiting on God to provide for me. You know what I want to say? Get off your blessed assurance and get a job. You know, get to work. Because God did provide for you. He did. He provided, he, he provided for you when he gave you a brain. He provided for you when he gave you two hands. He provided for you when he gave you a back and feet to get to work. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Wow. Now that doesn't say can't work, okay? Because sometimes you can't. It, it's not talking about people who have been you know, laid off, people who have lost their jobs, people who are trying to find jobs but can't, but who are willing, okay, that's the key, who are willing to do whatever it takes in the meantime. Deliver pizzas. You know, downsize, sell their car, get a clunker, have a yard sale, sell stuff on Facebook Marketplace, willing to do whatever it takes. It says here, unwilling to work. So the Bible teaches, this is a principle of Scripture. The Bible teaches if you are lazy, you should not get to eat, and we have no responsibility to care for you. That's pretty strong if you're lazy. But here's one of the problems we're facing today. There are multiple problems. This is multiple levels of things. I get it. But one of the problems is, is simply entitlement. Entitlement. You know, people in their 20s and 30s thinking they deserve the lifestyle of their parents now without having to work for it. Or we expect the government or somebody else to take care of it. Guys, listen. We need to be reminded that a work ethic is not an American thing. It's not an American principle. It's a biblical one. It's a, it's a Jesus one. You see, followers of Jesus should be the hardest working, most dependable workers there are. If you're not working hard at your job, if you don't show up and do a hard day's work, show up on time, shame on you. You are misrepresenting the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because for us, man, work is a form of worship. You don't do your job for your paycheck or for that boss. You do it unto God. Man, that's what the Bible teaches. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for who? For the Lord, not for human masters. And you need to be reminded of that tomorrow morning. You know, your countenance, your attitude should be reflective of the fact that you work for Jesus. It's a form of worship. Principle number three. 
plan your spending, and you knew I was going to say it, get on a budget. <laughs> I know, you think that's a four-letter word. It's not, but anyway, uh, it's time to stop fumbling around in the dark, spending, guessing, not knowing where your money uh, is going. A budget is simply planned spending. That's all it is. A budget is you telling your money where you want it spent rather than just wondering, you know, where it went. You know, it, if, if you don't do that, at some point, you know, in your life, you, you're never going to get out of the mess you're in. Proverbs, 23, uh, Proverbs 27, 23 through 24, it says, know the, uh, know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever, and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. And you're thinking, well, Pastor Chris, I'm not a farmer. I, you know, I don't have a flock. I don't have a herd. I think today Solomon would have said, know the state of your finances. Know where your money is going. This is kind of the starting point, right? You've got to track your money, track your finances. Have you ever said this, um, I just don't know where it all goes? I just don't know where it all goes. If you're saying that, okay, that is a big red flashing warning light that something's wrong. You're not keeping good records. Let me give you a little simple equation here. Ignorance plus easy credit equals disaster. Ignorance plus easy credit equals disaster. If you don't know where you're headed in your finances, you're not keeping good records, you've got credit cards, listen, you are already in trouble. You really are. Because you are buying things that you can't afford and you don't even know you can't afford it. Proverbs 21.5, listen to this. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. If you don't get anything else I, I say today, I want you to get this right now. Financial freedom, financial peace is really not determined by how much money you make. It's determined by how you spend it, by how you spend. You see, if you don't have a plan, your yearning is always going to exceed your earning, and you're always going to be in debt. You know, no matter how much money you make, your expenses are always going to rise with your income. I know people who can't uh, live on $100,000 a year. Why? Their yearning has exceeded their earning. So here's your homework. Another little piece of homework. Go home and make a budget if you've never done one. Go home and make a budget. In fact, let me help you out here a bit, Okay. Here at Coastal, we are so serious in helping families, helping individuals with uh, budgeting and spending and, and, and getting out of debt and all these financial principles that our church uh, actually purchased a site license uh, from Ramsey Plus. We actually did this uh, during the pandemic and we promoted it last year because we wanted to help people. And so all of uh, Dave Ramsey's uh, videos, uh, teaching, uh, budgeting information, resources, all of it is all available to you for free. What's your excuse? You know, and so in fact, we've provided um, uh, the link. The link for this is um, uh, available for you right there on your outline. Uh, you can log in, set up a little account, and you can... You can 
uh, avail yourself to all of that, all of these resources. In fact, if you're watching online today, we're going to drop the link um, uh, in the comments. For no other reason, you get, you get access to this because you call Coastal your home or you come to Coastal. We actually provided that link to all the teachers at Oakland Elementary School uh, last year because we wanted to help them during this time of uh, the, the, the pandemic, the shutdown. Listen, if you want to experience financial freedom, financial peace, and you want to enjoy the fruits of financial success, at some point, you're going to have to learn to plan your spending. You're going to have to figure this out. Principle number four, save for the future. Save for the future. Proverbs 21.20 from the Living Bible paraphrase says this, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. The Bible says that it's wise to save. We're not very good at this, though, are we? I mean, we're really, really not. Uh, study after study shows that, uh, you know, basically we're going to be broke in retirement as a people. Why? We're not saving. And there's a lot of people who are living high, the high life now, and they're going to go into retirement in poverty because we, we have this, you know, spend it now, live for today mentality. You know, there's this lack of, you know, understanding delayed gratification. There's this lack of understanding that it's just, you know, just be consistent, little by little. In fact, listen to this verse, Proverbs 13, 11. It says, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money, what? Little by little makes it grow. What's little by little? What's he talking about? Talking about saving. Talking about just being consistent. Just start somewhere. Start small and just be consistent and watch it grow. Watch the miracle of compound interest. But why don't, why don't we do this? Why don't we save more? Well, again, I think what we do is, uh, like we talked about earlier, we look around, we see what other people have, and we think, man, I gotta have it. And so we fall into the trap of just living beyond our means. And the truth is, all those other people that you are envying and you're watching their you know, perfect, polished lives, it's, it's very probable that they are in more debt than you are. You just don't see it. Listen, in order to get out of debt, we gotta stop comparing. And we just gotta decide, listen, I don't care what other people have. I'm going to do what I know is right and I'm going to start saving for the future even if it's just little by little by little and I'm going to be consistent. You know, and, uh, if you've ever gone through uh, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, which we try to offer that like every other year, at least here at Coastal, and uh, he says that your very first step is to save up that $1,000 what? What's it called? Emergency fund, emergency fund, right. And, and man, he, he says, man, you do whatever it takes. And remember, he calls it that gazelle-like intensity. You do whatever it takes. You, you sell stuff online. You have a yard sale. You take on that extra job. But start there. Start trying to get that emergency fund built up so that when the stuff of life happens, which it always does, right, you're gonna have the money set aside to pay for it instead of just putting it on a credit card, putting it on a credit card and going deeper and deeper into debt. In fact, again, the whole, the entire Financial Peace University video seminar, it's all available to you for free through Ramsey Plus, that site license. Avail yourself to it. And finally, principle number five. I saved the 
best for last. Give 10% back to God. Give 10% back to God. Rachel Cruz in her books talks about the commitment that her and her husband made uh, to tithing. And uh, she goes over it in great detail. This is the principle of tithing. Tithing means 10%. God says in Scripture to give the first 10% of all that we make back to him, back to our local church, to honor him as number one in our life. Malachi 3.10, God says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Test me. That is the only place in the entire Bible where God says, I dare you. This is how you can prove that I exist, by being a generous, consistent giver. Put me first in your money, give the first 10% back, and see if I don't bless your life and provide for you. I dare you. Now here's the truth. God owns everything. Not the 10%, he owns 100%. You don't own anything. You really don't. Now, we get to use it. We get to manage it, hopefully learn from it, leverage it for like 60, 80, maybe 90 plus years, and then guess what? Somebody else gets it. Somebody else gets to use it. Everything you have, ultimately, it comes from God. Now, obviously, God does not need your money. So why does God say do this? Because he wants what it represents, your heart. God says, I know that most of your life revolves around money, stuff, resources, things. You know, thinking about it, spending, saving, earning, using, insuring, investing, worrying. So, he says, I want to be number one in this primary area of your life. So at least the first 10% right off the top comes back to me. Let me give you three quick reasons for tithing. First of all, gratitude. Just gratitude. Every time Janet and I tithe, every time we give back to God, we are saying, God, I realize I wouldn't have anything if it weren't for you. You gave me my mind, you gave me my health, you gave me my body, you gave the clothes on our back. Here is 10% back to you just simply out of gratitude because it represents that I am, I know that it all came from you in the first place. Secondly, priority. Priority. It's one of the ways that proves that God is number one in your life. Listen, you can say it all day long if you want to. But if, if you're not being a generous, consistent giver, you are just kidding yourself. You don't trust him. You don't believe that he'll do what he, what he says. So it is saying, when you give, you are saying, God, you are number one. In fact, I give you the first day of every week, Sunday. I give that to you. The first day. I give you the first part of my day. Every day. A quiet time. A, a devotional life. A, a time spent with God. And I'm going to give you the first part of my money. A tithe. God wants the first. It's also a statement of trust. 
Every time I give, every time I tithe, I'm saying, God, I trust you. I, I believe. I believe that you're gonna take care of me. I believe, uh, you know, I, I trust you enough to save me. You know, if I trust you enough to save my soul and take me to heaven, I'm gonna trust you enough to take care of my finances. Now, you might push back a little bit and say, but Pastor Chris, I'm in debt. I can't afford it. I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to give. Can I respectfully submit to you that you can't afford not to? You need God's blessing in your life if you're gonna get out of debt, if you're gonna get out of the mess you're in. Let me ask you a question. I mean, let's just be really practical here for a second. You know, it's either you're gonna figure it out on your own, in your own way, which by the way, where did that get you? Or you're gonna do it God's way. So which way do you think God is going to honor? Which way do you think God is gonna bless? It all comes down to a matter of trust. Do I trust God or do I not? Now here's the principle. Whatever you want God to bless in your life, you put him first. You want God to bless your relationships, put God first in your relationship. This is what cracks me up. People all the time, you know, like, man, just, uh, you know, God, take care of our family, bless our family, or, or maybe you're single. God, you know, uh, I, I want you to bless me and provide for me, a, you know, a, a man or a woman, you know, bless the, you know, a relationship. Listen, let me ask you a question. Is God first in that relationship? Is he first in your family? Whatever you, got, whatever you want God to bless, you better put him first. You want God to bless your time, you put God first in your time. You honor him with your schedule. You want God to bless your money, your job, where you work, put him first. There's actually more promises in the Bible uh, uh, related to giving than any other, more, any other subject. Let me give you one more. Proverbs 3, uh, 9 through 10, uh, it says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the leftovers of everything you produce. It doesn't say that, does it? Trying to see if you're paying attention there. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the what? Best part. Uh, some translations say with the first fruits of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. That means, again, right off the top. You put God first and then God kicks in his power and his help and his blessing and suddenly you're doing what you thought was impossible. But the key is with God's help. With God's help. So let me ask, right now in the area of your finances, do you have God's help? Are you doing money and life and finances God's way? Have you invited God into your finances? Now, there is a more important question than have you invited God into your finances? You see, the most important question is, have you invited God into your life? Have you invited God into your life? I actually believe that if you've truly invited God into your life, he reorders every area of your life, including your finances. He wants to be Lord of all of it, not just a segment of it, not just a little section of it. But you see, there is a debt. There is a, a payment a penalty, a, a debt that you have that no matter how many steps I might give you, you're never gonna be able to repay. 
And it's not a financial thing. It's not a financial debt. It's a sin debt. You see, the Bible says that all of us, me included, all of us, we're all debtors to God. We all owe God. We're, we're, we're all in, in trouble. But the Bible says we're all sinners in need of a Savior. You see, the Bible says that we are debtors to God when it comes to our sin. Because we've sinned, because we've violated God's principles, because we've gone our own way, we have been separated from God. And your sin debt to God is so great and so big that there's not enough good things that you could ever do to pay it back, to pay it off. You, you can't earn your way into heaven. You can't earn, work your way, earn your way into a relationship with God. It's too great. It's too big. By the way, you can't be religious enough. It doesn't work that way. So what do you do about it? Well, the great news is that God loves you so very much that he has a solution. Just like God, by the way, has a solution for your financial debt, God has a solution for your sin debt. Look at this last verse. I want to close with this. Colossians 2.14. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the what? The cross where Jesus was crucified. That's what the cross of Jesus was all about. That's why he died, to pay the penalty for your debt and mine. And so if you have never, ever gone to God at some point, you know, between you and him and said, God, I recognize that I am a sinner. I have messed up and I could never make up for all the wrongs that I have done. I need your forgiveness. And today, I want to accept what Jesus did for me on the cross by allowing his death, burial, and resurrection to pay for my sin debt. Today, I ask him to not only be my Savior, but to be my Lord. And I'm going to allow your Holy Spirit to come inside of me and transform me. If you have never done that, that's the issue. And you can do it today. Listen, it might take a while, and I said this before, it might take a while for you to get out of your financial problems. It might. Hard work, intentionality, over time, consistency, it might take a while. But listen to this. Instantly, completely, forever, you can take care of your sin problem. You can be forgiven. Listen, will you ask God for that help? For that forgiveness? You see, I think God might have brought you here today just so you could hear that. But you gotta trust him. You gotta ask for it. That's where it all begins. Man, I hope you'll do that today. Bow your heads. Let me pray for you today, with you. For those of you who are ready to ask God for that forgiveness. Man, let's do that today. For those of you, you know, I just wanna pray for those of you who are in a season right now, you know, of financial uh, stress, and maybe today's the day that um, you turn all that over to God. Bow your heads, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today, as always, I thank you for your holy word. 
the foundation of all that we do. Lord, I thank you for Jesus who's made all of this possible, this personal relationship that we can have with you possible by canceling the debt of our sin on the cross. If we would simply come to you in faith. And right now, you know, whether you're watching this online, whether you're here today, maybe you've been here for a while and you've been kind of kicking the tires and you've never stopped, stepped across that line of faith. Maybe it's your very first time and God brought you here not just to hear about finances, about money, but he brought you here uh, to, to, to be reminded that you can be forgiven. He brought you here to hear that it's not about religion, it's not about earning or, uh, and trying to be better. It's about faith in his son, Jesus. And you can cross that line today. Just simply pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I admit it. I am a mess. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And today, I believe that one has been provided, your son, that he went to the cross for me, that my, my sin put him on that cross, and he died to cancel the debt of my sin. And today, I believe that he rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death, and that he is alive. And today, I ask him to be my Savior, to be my Lord, and for the rest of my life, God, I just want to become more and more like you now see me, forgiven. And Father, today I also pray for those that are here in this room, those that are watching online, that are struggling financially. God, as a church, we want to be a, a generous church. We want to be a church that looks to help and provide hope and, and resources. I pray that we together would avail ourselves to these resources. But God, most importantly, I pray that we would look at these principles and that we would put you first in every area of our life, including this one. We love you, Father, and I pray this today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.